0: So as, as you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you'll notice, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, as you study the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus, he'll say it in these words, but then he also kind of alludes to it in other ways, but a lot of his ministry revolves around giving us the great command and the great commission. The great command is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, your strength, your mind. He says everything that you are, you are to love God with all of you, not part of you, not some of you, not sometimes, but all of you all the time. And then he follows it up with, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So a lot of Jesus's ministry is revolving around that great command. How do we love God? How do we love others? Why do we love God? Why do we love others? But he doesn't end there. And then he gives us the great commission. The Great Commission is to go. That's great that you have a faith. That's great that you believe. That's great that you love God. That's great that you love others, but how do you tell other people about that? What does it look like to not just share your faith, but to live your faith out in all kinds of different ways? Uh, We would now call that the Great Commission, to go. He sends us out because of our faith to make a difference in the lives of others. Luke chapter 10, we've been looking at this every single week as we've gone through this study. Luke chapter 10, verse two. Jesus gives these instructions to his disciples, to his followers, to those that believe in him. He tells them, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go. He sends us out. Now go. And remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among the wolves. The idea there is that's great that you have a faith. That's great that you're growing to become more like Jesus. That's great that you believe in him, but you also got to go. And so we have been praying this prayer. Uh, hopefully you've been joining us and then if you're new, I'm going to tell you what we're going to what what you can jump in with us on is at 10:02 a.m. every single day which let's see if your phones go off here in a little bit. Um, you can silence them if that's gonna embarrass you, but it doesn't bother me at all. 10.02 every single day in reference to Luke chapter 10, verse two, we're praying this prayer as a unified body, as a family. We are praying, Lord, send me and send more. And, and the way that I've been encouraged you to think about this prayer is not just send me to some random place or send me to some place I've never been before. I believe God wants to send you to where you already are, but with a different mindset. So send me back to my family to disciple my kids. Send me to work tomorrow morning so that I can be a light in a dark place. Send me to school where I can have an impact on on the student body and the people that I'm around. It's send me, but it's not just us. God, we want you to send more. Send more out into the field so we can continue to do your work. That kind of embodies the Great Commission. And we've been looking at and studying 2 Timothy because it helps us with that. It's a beautiful picture of a discipleship relationship where Paul is pouring into Timothy so that Timothy can pour into other people. And so then those people can continue to pour in. That's a beautiful picture of how this great commission is supposed to happen. And so Paul shows us what it looks like to be a disciple as he's encouraging and even giving instruction to his young protege, Timothy. But for us, it's not just, God, how do you want to grow me? That is a huge part of the equation. But also, God, what do you want to do through me? It's the faith we have, but it's also how God wants to use your faith to impact people around you. So as we go through 2 Timothy today, that's what I'm hoping you're looking for, is what does it look like for me to grow grow in my faith, but what does it look like for God to send me, for me to go and to use my faith to impact other people? So let's pray, and we'll jump into 2 Timothy chapter 2. God, thank you so much for the faith that you have given us, the faith that you are growing within us, that it doesn't take much. It's, the, it's faith the size of a mustard seed, and you can use that to grow and to impact and to do an incredible work in your kingdom. God, as we open your word and hear from you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would open our eyes to the parts of our lives that you want to challenge us in and grow us in, Open our eyes to the people around us that you've placed around us for us to have an influence and an impact on. Holy Spirit, would you give us courage and boldness? Would you give us the right words to say? Would you give us the discernment on when to not use words? Would you continue to use us to impact the people around us? Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Timothy, if you've got your Bible, be there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We finished chapter 1 last week, um, and so we're going to jump into chapter 2. As you're getting there, though, I mentioned the Christmas tree, so I'll go ahead and tell you the story. Uh, So I've been looking forward to this for a long time. If you've been here the last several weeks, I've been talking maybe about Christmas every single week. I'm ready for the Christmas tree. I'm ready for the Christmas decorations. I've been ready for weeks. If it was totally up to me, which it was not, we would have had this up before Halloween. Uh, But I care about my marriage and my family. And so I listened to my wife and we waited uh, as long as we possibly could. I was like, no, I'm ready. I want this up now. And so I've been excited. In fact, yesterday I started getting everything out of the attic, started getting everything ready. And something dawned on me. It's funny, like we do this every single year. I get excited about all the Christmas decorations and the Christmas tree. I get excited every single year. For some reason, I forget just how much it takes. I forget how long it takes Like we started yesterday morning, we got, we do, we have multiple trees in our house. I'm not ashamed of that at all. We have multiple Christmas trees. I at least got them up, but they don't have any ornaments on them yet. We got boxes and bins all over our house. That's what we're going to do after church today. Because we didn't finish yesterday, I underestimated just how much it takes to get all of the Christmas stuff out, to get all of things put up, to get the old stuff back in bins and to store those in the garage and the attic and any other closet we can possibly find. I do this every year to myself. I get all excited and then I start going through the actual process of putting everything out and there's this question that will go through my mind. Is it really worth it? is it worth it? Do we really need this many trees in our house? Like, is it worth it? Do we really need to to put all of this stuff out all throughout? Like, is it really worth it? And we ask that question not just in, in a Christmas season. We ask that all the time. Anytime we go through something, we're weighing, is it worth it? Because I love the result I want want the end result, but man, is the work worth it? Is the difficulty worth it? Is the suffering worth it? Is the money worth it? We go all through asking that question, is it worth it? I'm up in the attic trying to get all these things down. 10.02, there you go. Send me, send more. I'm up in the attic, like shoving things down out of the attic. I'm like, is this really worth it? I'm untangling lights. Is this really worth it? My pre-lit tree that I'm trying to get to light up, (laughs) is this really worth it? Is it really worth it? In regards to our faith, make the transition with me, in regards to our faith, is it worth it? That's a question that Paul doesn't necessarily ask Timothy that question, but it's the theme of what Paul is getting to Timothy in this next section as we look at chapter two. So just kind of have that in your mind. Is this worth it? We've talked a lot about suffering. We talked about that last week. Paul is very quick to let Timothy know, you are going to suffer. It is going to get difficult. It's going to not always be easy. It's going to be hard work. So Timothy, is it worth it to you? So Let's pick up where we left off last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to break up this into three different sections, talk about it, and hopefully this will help paint a picture of not just what a disciple of Jesus kind of looks like and sounds like and says, but also what a discipleship relationship begins to look like, as we see between Paul and Timothy. Verse 1 out of chapter 2, Timothy, my dear son... Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So here's a picture. Uh, Let's paint a picture of what a disciple of Jesus looks like. A few things I want to make observations on here before we move on to the next part. First, we see this phrasing again, Timothy, my dear son. We saw that at the very beginning of chapter one. We talked a lot about just that relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul is not biologically Timothy's father, but he is acting as a spiritual mentor, a spiritual father. And we've talked about that a lot during this series as our spiritual family, that church is not just a gathering, it is a spiritual family. We don't just meet to show up. No, we meet to be around other people, to do this within community. And so we see that relationship between Paul and Timothy, where here's Paul viewing Timothy not just as a friend, but no, within the family of God, Timothy, you're like a son to me. And that is what this is intended to be like. The body of Christ, the family of God, we are intended to be adopted into his family, brothers and sisters in Christ, where we get to be a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. We get to pour into other people. So I'm gonna use this phrase a lot this morning. A disciple of Jesus says... I'm going to use that phrase a lot as Paul kind of paints this picture of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, but also what it looks like to have a discipleship relationship. Hopefully this will just help maybe you frame this up a little differently, maybe frame it up into a different way of viewing what it means to truly follow Jesus and to fully follow him. So what we just talked about within Paul and Timothy's relationship, a disciple of Jesus would say, my faith is not just about me. It's not just about me. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is not just I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. I mean, that is a crucial part. You have to have that part. But it's not just about me. Again, Paul having that kind of a relationship with Timothy to say, my dear son, that shows us that Paul's faith is not just about what he believes. It's about pouring into the next generation. It's about investing into somebody. Paul didn't have this kind of relationship with everybody. He had it with a few. Timothy was one of those. So for us as Christians, as followers, as disciples, our faith is not just about ourselves. It's also about the family of God that he has placed us in. And then, again, this is a similar theme. We talked about this last week a little bit. I'll go quick on it. Paul tells Timothy, be strong through the grace that God gives you. He tells Timothy a lot. You're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to hang in there. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to have patience. He's telling Timothy, you're going to go through some difficult things. And so you need to have some strength. You need to have some power. You need to have some endurance. But it's not going to come from you. He constantly, Paul constantly points back to God and the Holy Spirit. It's like, you're gonna have to have the strength of God in order to get through this. You're gonna need the power of the Holy Spirit, like we talked last week, to hold on to the truth. And here, he says, you're gonna have to be strong, but it's not by your own, your will, it's not by your own ability, it's definitely not by your own strength. It's strength through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. So yes, Timothy, you're gonna have to be strong, but you're gonna have to depend on God. Common theme, not just throughout Christianity, but especially in Paul's letter here to Timothy. So a disciple of Jesus would say, I am completely dependent on the power, strength, and grace of God. I cannot do this on my own. So I have to rely on, I have to depend on, I have to put my trust in Jesus because that's where I'm gonna gain strength. That's where I'm gonna have power. That's where I'm going to be able to live and walk through life because of his grace, not by me earning it or deserving it, not by me being able to be so mature in my faith, not by all the hard work I put into it, but because of him. Then lastly, we see how this discipleship relationship is supposed to work. We see how Paul talks about, he doesn't use the word there, but basically the great commission. He says, look, so you've heard from me and I've taught you, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Do you see what Paul's trying to get Timothy to understand? He said, all right, Timothy, you've heard from me. I've told you the truth. I've told you the good news. I've told you the gospel. So now you have it. Now you're going to take what I've taught you. And now you're going to pass it on to some other people. And then they're going to hear the good news. And they're going to hear the gospel. And they're going to hear how they are saved by grace because of their faith in Jesus. And now they are going to pass that on to other people. That's what Paul wants to make sure Timothy understands. This cannot end with you. It's not just about you. It's about how you can continue to live your faith out and pass on what you have learned, to pass on what you've been taught, to pass on what you hold on to, which is faith. So a disciple of Jesus would say something like this, putting your faith in Jesus is not the finish line, but the starting line. When you come to faith, when when you believe in Jesus, when you give him your life, when you surrender to him, you're saying, and now we're ready to go. Now I'm ready to start. It's not, Oh man, I'm glad I made it to that point. I'm glad I finally gave my life to Jesus. Now I can just sit back and be done. No, that's the starting line. That's when he begins to really work in you and mold you and shape you into who he desires you to be. That's when you start getting on mission, right? That's the great commission. Now go, I'm gonna send you out. I'm gonna send you to your workplace. I'm gonna send you to your school. I'm gonna send you in the community. I'm gonna send you into your neighbor. I'm gonna send you home. I'm gonna send you to church. I'm gonna send you to these places where now you can have an impact and you can make a difference. It's the starting line. It's most certainly not the finish line. Now Paul's going to kind of turn in verse three. He's going to give some examples and some illustrations. We're going to hang on here for quite a while. Let me read it and we'll talk about it. Verse three, endure suffering. Again, that is a theme Paul writes to Timothy over and over and over again. It's not easy. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. I love what Paul says here next. This is funny. This is like such a dad thing to do, right? A spiritual father figure that Paul was. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Just think about it, Timothy. You'll you'll get it. God's going to give you some insight and wisdom. You'll figure it out. I love that he doesn't go back and fully explain it. Uh, We're going to, we're going to like do exactly what Paul said. We're going to think about it, gain some understanding around it. And why did Paul use these examples, these illustrations? Go back to the first question we kind of talked through. Is it really worth it? Is it worth it? For the soldier, is it worth it? For the athlete, is it worth it? For the farmer, is it worth it? For each and every one of these examples that Paul gives Timothy, they've counted the cost. They know what it's going to take to accomplish the goal. They know what it's going to take, and they're wrestling with the same question that we do. Is it really worth it? So each of these examples, although there's different roles between the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, they do have a lot in common. So Paul's gonna use what they have in common and what they have in in difference and help us apply this to our lives as a disciple and in our discipleship relationships. Couple things to know as we kind of talk through these. First, he uses the same structure. It's almost the same cadence where you have a role, you have a, a person or almost a profession, and then you have a specific behavior or like a unique quality or a trait that then leads to a specific result. So you've got the person, that does something specific that leads to a certain result, in this case, a reward. Each and every one of those results in a reward. So let's talk through those kind of in that order. If you want to have something that maybe sticks in your brain a little bit easier, think of them, they all start with R's to make it easy. That's what pastors are good at. We make things start with the same letter. So you have the role, you have the requirement, and you have the reward. What's the role? What does that role require? And based on that requirement, what reward does it lead to? So let's start with the soldier. There's the role, the role of the soldier. What is the requirement? Paul says that they don't pay attention to the affairs of civilian life. They don't worry about other things. They don't pay attention to what all the other civilians do. In other words, they are laser focused. They are focused on the mission. They have a priority of one. If if what comes before them has nothing to do with accomplishing their mission, they push it to the side. They don't worry about what everybody else worries about. They don't think about what everybody else thinks about. They are single minded. They are loyal. They are committed. They have prioritized what is most important for them. A soldier on the battlefield is probably not worrying about what Netflix show they're gonna binge tonight. They're not thinking about where they're gonna go to lunch later. They're not worried about how many likes they got on Facebook. They are single-focused. If it has nothing to do with the mission, then they don't care. I am staying focused on what truly matters, what the top priority is. And then notice what the reward is. So you have the soldier, what's required, focus, right? Mission focus. And then what's the reward? To please the one who enlisted them, to please the one that called them, to please the one that sent them. So as a disciple, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, We stay focused so that we can please God and not get distracted. So how does this paint a picture for what a disciple would say? Let's say it again. A disciple of Jesus says, I am mission focused and I refuse to get distracted. That's what Paul is helping Timothy understand. Man, if if you are going to really live this life, and if you're going to live out the great command and the great commission, you've got to be mission focused. You have to prioritize, and you can't allow yourself to get distracted with all the other things. That doesn't mean all those things are evil, right? Not, not necessarily, but the good things can distract us from the great things, can't they? And oftentimes that's where we get stuck. We get busy doing all the good things and we miss out on what God has truly called us to. And the goal for us, the reward for us, the result we're looking for is to please the one who sent us. And then he talks about an athlete. So role, requirement, reward, reward. The role is the athlete. What's the requirement? To follow the rules, to follow the rules. Now, there's there's a couple sets of rules we could talk about in regards to athletes. The first one is the most common. That's the one that probably came to your mind. If you're going to compete in a certain event or in a sporting game, there are rules that you have to follow. There are specific rules for you to compete in that game or in that tournament. But then there's also the rules of training, So when when Paul wrote this in ancient times, obviously, I think, I mean, we could be wrong. A lot of commentaries would say the same thing, that Paul was writing with the ancient Olympics in mind. And for the ancient Olympics, one of the things that Olympians would have to do is they would have to swear an oath that they had trained, that they had strictly trained for 10 months leading up to the actual competition. So when we talk about following the rules, it's not just, here's the game of football. You have to play within the rules of the game of football. No, it's also, yeah, but did you follow the rules of training leading up to it? Because we know that's to be the case, right? There's, there's the rules of the game, but then there's also the rules of self-discipline. And if you're an elite athlete, I'm not, but I've heard about them. If you're an elite athlete then you have to follow some really strict rules. You have some really strict self, self-control and self-discipline that you follow so that you can compete at that level, right? Uh, elite athletes will go to bed early. They will wake up early. They choose to not eat all the things that I love to eat just so they can compete at that level. They say no to some things so that they can be training and preparing and getting ready for their competition. It is, the, it is the rules of self-discipline. And they do all that, is it worth it? What's the reward? The reward is they win the prize. They receive the crown. They succeed. They finish well. They finish the race well. So for us as Christians, followers of Jesus, that aim to please our heavenly father, a disciple of Jesus says, I am devoted and disciplined devoted and disciplined. I'm I'm mission-focused like the soldier, but when it comes to following the rules, it's not just, well, the do's and don'ts, the shalls and shall nots. It's am I living a life that allows me to finish the race well? Does it allow me to become who God has desired me to be? The athlete turns down a lot of things they want so they can succeed in what they're aiming for. Man, that's so much of our life as a Christian, is do I give up some of the things maybe I want? Do I say no to some of the things that everybody else around me is doing that the world would condone and even celebrate, but I'm willing to say no because I wanna become who he desires me to be, who he's called me to be. And again, my aim is to please him. Is it worth it? All the discipline, all the self-control, is it worth it? And then he ends with the farmer. Not just a farmer, though, a hardworking farmer. So here we have the role of the farmer. What's the requirement? Hard working, right? The farmer is constantly working. The farmer's job is not nine to five, Monday through Friday. The farmer's job is all the time, every day, in every season. There's always something to do if you are a farmer, There's either livestock that need to be taken care of or fed. There's crops that need to be planted and watered. There's ground that needs to be tilled and plowed. There's seed that needs to be sown. There's a harvest that needs to uh, have work and effort put into it. There's also preparation. The farmer knows just how fragile that farm is. There could be a famine. There could be drought. There could be a flood. There could be a storm. Each season could be a little bit different. You just don't know. The farmer also knows that this doesn't happen overnight. So there's a lot of preparation. If you don't sow seed, you don't harvest that seed. Right? So it goes back to the phrase, you reap what you sow. That's right. And so the farmer knows this. And so continuing to do the groundwork, literally, continuing to do the hard work to prepare. What's the reward? What's the result? The hardworking farmer gets to enjoy the fruit of their labor. They get to see the impact. They get to see what they planted. They get to see it grow. They get to be part of that process. So as a disciple of Christ, what is Paul trying to help Timothy understand? What does it mean within our faith? The disciple, a disciple of Jesus would say this, I put in the hard work and I keep working. Let's talk about this for a second because if we're not on the same page, this is gonna sound a little funny. I didn't think I had to work for my salvation. Not at all. That's not what this is saying at all. That's not what Paul's getting at at all. We are saved by grace. He said that over and over again as he shared the gospel and the good news with Timothy. No, what do we work hard at? Where do we keep working? Within his kingdom. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities. He's given you opportunities. He's given you resources. He's given you influence. Are you working to make the most of those? Are you sowing seeds of encouragement and love. And when do you get to see those grow? People around you, when do you get to see people grow because of the influence and the impact that you've had on them? Again, that's the Great Commission. Go. We are sent out. Are you making the most of those opportunities? That's the hard work. It's the kingdom work that God has called you to As a disciple of Jesus, we are mission-focused. We are disciplined in following his word, his will, his way, and we work hard. Man, if somebody has ever told you following Jesus is easy, it's not. It's not intended to be. Go back to Luke chapter 10. You remember the language that Jesus said? He says, I'm gonna send you out like lambs among the wolves. That's not a pretty picture. (laughs) It is hard work. So the question still remains, is it worth it? Is it worth it? The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, they've all counted the cost. They know what it takes. Is it worth it? Paul's going to answer in the next section, verse 8. He tells Timothy, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. Understand, the good news of Jesus is based on, is founded on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If he didn't come back to life, we shouldn't be wasting our time today. It would not be worth it. But because Jesus is alive, because he is exactly who he proclaimed to be, that he is God in human form, that he lived the sinless life, that he went to the cross willingly to take our sins away, the one sacrifice for all sins, and when he died and came back to life, he conquered both sin and death. And now, oh, sin, oh, death, where is your sting? So he says, that's, that's what we're remembering. So as you're counting the cost, remember that Jesus died and he came back to life. That is the good news. Verse 9 says, and because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. It's not easy, Timothy. It's not easy to follow Jesus, but the word of God cannot be changed. And here's how Paul would answer the question is it worth it? Verse 10. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Let me say that again. Like he's answering the question. Here's what it takes. Just like a soldier counts the cost. Just like an athlete counts the cost. Just like a farmer counts the cost. Is this really worth it? Well, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the empty grave, is it really worth it? Because of all the suffering and all of the difficulties, all of the hard work, is it really worth it? Paul says, yes. I am willing to endure anything. It is worth it if It'll bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to someone else. It's worth it. Timothy, I want you to believe that it's worth it. It's hard work. It requires focus. It requires discipline. You're gonna have to give up some things because you're choosing to follow Jesus. Your life is gonna look different. You're gonna go through suffering. You're gonna go through the persecution. Is it worth it? Yes. If that means just one other person, gets to know who Jesus is, then yes, it's worth it. If somebody else gets to hear the good news of Jesus and the grace that's found in him, then yes, it's worth it. If someone experiences the freedom that comes from forgiveness, not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, but because God desires to give it to us, then yes, it's worth it. If someone who feels like an outcast, ignored and isolated, when they get to know who Jesus is and they get adopted into his family and because of that adoption, now they have a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ and they get to experience the family of God. Yes, it's worth it. A disciple of Jesus says, yes, it is worth it. No matter the difficulties, no matter the struggles, yes, it's worth it. Even when we don't fully understand and there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainties, yes, it is worth it worth it? There's all kinds of moments in our lives where we will ask that question. We get nervous. We won't say it out loud. You can say it out loud. Man, I don't know if this is worth it right now. I don't know if this is worth it anymore. It's getting really hard, and I don't know if it's worth it. Man, I want you to go back to what Paul says to Timothy. Yes, it's worth it because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of the empty grave, it's worth it. Just like the soldier would say, yes, it's worth it because I'm aiming to please the one who sent me. Yes, it's worth it. Just like the athlete that gives up a lot and lives a completely different life than anybody else. Yes, it's worth it because they wanna finish well. Just like the farmer, there's a lot of hard work, not a lot of vacation days for a farmer. But yes, it's worth it because we get to see what God will do in us but also through us. I pray you would say yes, it's worth it.